All right. Joe, we are in the zone now. In the zone. All right. <laughs> so, um... Monday cast. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It is weird. Welcome to the Art Fight Podcast. I feel like I'm not hearing myself very well, but I'll get used to it. Um, These faders look good, Brian. Thank you. All right. Yes. Welcome to the Art Fight Podcast. Uh, we're here today with Ariel Bowie, Joe Nolan, of course, and myself. And uh, yeah, we're doing this on a Monday, which is super weird. And that works. Um, I think it's just the first time we've ever done Monday. Usually it's like we're winding the week down. We come do a lazy, hazy podcast. Yeah. Yeah. But this is, I like, we can be more aspirational now. Yeah. We're just, I'm just at the, I'm fresh, man. I'm at the very beginning of my week. <laughs> I, I, the weekends are when I do all the work, it seems. So, um, but yes, welcome, Ariel. Thank A- you Ariel, so much. Ariel. 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 Gosh. <laughs> it's okay. It's all good. You nailed the last name. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you make racket, you make songs, you make things happen. You, you clearly have a history and a lot of traditional country music, a lot of psychedelic folk, a lot of alternative music, I guess, is what we're left with to call whatever happened in those mm. times. Um, all of that. But anyway, uh, really cool stuff. So glad to have you. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I just want to jump right into also just, you know, musically, um, I love that what you do is almost... Uh, a healthy form of indecision like you just say well I'll do that and I'll do this and I'll do that too and not let um, any one thing particularly defined I guess suppose what you do right but um, definitely traditional country definitely some out kind of stuff you know like it's a nice it's a nice mix that I think balances really well um, and I think that there's only, there's not many artists in my years of of <laughs> listening to music that um that can do that really neatly and nicely and not have it feel like it's just confusion or something um i mean there's even modern stuff you know like um you ever listen to john hopkins it's like m- kind of modern electronic hmm. stuff but um but it's super um composed and it'll go from the most sort of fever pitch blistering broken sound kind of techno style music right dance music EDM, whatever you want to call it, it'll go from that to these really soul and minimal, almost like music for airports type moments of just piano mm-hmm. and find its way back. And it seems like in pure violation of everything that, you know, especially now where it's like you've got three minutes to get anybody's attention to do anything for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a real commitment to sort of, you know, uh, weave in different things because you don't know what the point of entry is going to be for people to get into your catalog, you know. Are they going to be disappointed? Are they going to be opened up? You know, it's, it's a lot. It's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't say that I try very, very hard to make anything a certain way. I think it's pretty genuine. You know, you, you take in what you're listening to from your surroundings. And for me, if that's a lot of different kinds of music, then it whatever I'm synthesizing that as and then expressing it comes out in a cohesive way hopefully um but 
I definitely do want music to be interesting, right? Like you listen to a lot of music and most music in a specific genre will all kind of sound the same. And so I feel like it's more interesting to try to experiment with how do we think about genres um, and then how do we take elements from different genres and put them together in a way that's interesting. For example, you know, um, I'll be celebrating the 10th anniversary of my first record coming up um, this September 16th on my birthday. Um, mm, happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> I'll be 32 and I released it when I was 22 in my senior year of college and I studied music in college so I was listening to a lot of classical music and um, during that time I was also really into, I'd grown up listening to like Bob Dylan and um, the Beatles and um, and so just for example just taking something from like folk music and classical music well classical music for example can go into all of these like esoteric places sometimes depending on who you're listening to right with all these tonal centers moving around and all of that stuff um but even before I realized all of that and applied it to my folk songs kind of you know listening to bands like Radiohead or listening to people like Fiona Apple I didn't even before I started studying music I didn't even know what a key really was ultimately I just knew that like when I listened to music I really liked it when it would go into these different places you know mm -hmm. just I didn't know what that meant but it was just like oh this song goes into like these different sections and now I know that's called it modulates into different keys <laughs> yeah, right. so at that time without even realizing I was like I feel in my gut that this song needs to go into this different feel and then as mm -hmm. I as I started understanding oh yeah well that's going into different keys but I also like experimenting with simplicity so that's something too that even like in the rock and roll world, you can get really into these bands that are really thrashy and, you know, really spazzy and really like to get into different time signatures and stuff like that. And that's super cool. Um, and then for me to to be able to take something like, all right, we've got all these different complex kinds of music. And then you've got the bare bones of like country music where you have three chords in the truth like how do you how do you do all of those things make three chords in the truth a little more interesting maybe you experiment with the lyrics mm -hmm. lyrics a little bit or you know how do you take something that's complex and, and turn it into something simple so I had um, a, a music theory professor my music theory and composition professor um, Dr. Crozier he was a nephew of a uh, Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers neighborhood mm, nice. um, so anyway he described my music as deceptively simple Schubertian pop whoa and I think that that, <laughs> that is my favorite like review I've ever gotten yeah, that's like your pin tweet you know, <laughs> my favorite review that I ever got for anything that I ever did uh, Rolling Stone called my music unsolicited and return to, <laughs> return to sender. Yeah. <laughs> return to sender. Rolling Stone. I actually had that in my bio. That's really good. I like that. Like 20 um, years ago. I was going to say, you that's, know, that's really, yeah, you know, sorry, that Schubertian? Yeah, yeah, Schubert. Right. Yeah, because he, he's deceptively simple, right? Um, and you can't really tell when you're listening to Schubert's music that he's changing keys and doing all kinds of weird mm. stuff with his chords. Um, anytime I've sat down to try to 
analyze like music theory was uh, what Schubert's doing it always gives me a headache and I'm like I'd rather just listen to it it sounds really nice uh-huh. but I think that's what he was going for was that you know um, especially in that record that first record um, being solo guitar and not having a band and not having all of that I wanted to make it full in the way that like Nick Drake is full or yeah, Elliot yeah, yeah. Smith is sure. full without having a lot of instrumentation around it to like yeah. bring it around and I was performing a lot solo so um, having something that was palatable I, I've never really striven to be like is that a word um, avant-garde mm-hmm. you know I want to be experimental but without being avant-garde and difficult Yeah. so I think I really do like the term pop because I mean I'm not like Beyonce pop artist but pop is the most digestible Mm -hmm. simplified form of music that exists in the world and that's why it's popular Mm -hmm. and then anything you do like I want to I want to be accessible even while being my weird self yeah Yeah. that's cool I think that's admirable I wanted to I wanted to say like all right so I may be just like connecting a lot of dots that that I'm just going to force them to connect right now and then and make you answer a question. Okay, so so you're going to play this weekend, uh, which is during the the height of the Americana Fest here in Nashville. I don't really see how your music connects with any of that. Really, um, I, I uh, one of the things that I actually find. I don't I don't I don't say this as a criticism of people who choose to do this, but I say this as a criticism based on the fact that my values won't allow me to do this. Okay, so my creative values say that what you're trying to do is innovate, right? That's part of what every artist should be doing according to my musical values, okay? And one of the things that drives me crazy about the Americana world is that it's this it's essentially a reaction to popular like radio popular country music. And it's a tr- it's essentially saying we want to connect backwards to the traditional country music, okay? Um, but in but in doing so, you have this backwards-looking conservative aesthetic. Not politically speaking, but you see what I'm saying. You're trying to conserve something, and and just that that function drives me crazy. Okay, so what is it? What am I am I onto something by saying that I see you as somebody who, you know, you don't seem to have that much interest in in retro for retro's sake or something like that and the reason why I liked your last album your most recent record was because I didn't really know what I was going to hear I'd heard you play live a few times but when I heard the record it was like this is completely not what everybody else seems to be trying to do you know what I mean yeah so just comment on all that for me well, <laughs> oh sorry um, well I everything's okay <laughs> I agree with you completely. Mm. And one of the hardest things about trying to be a musician and one of the things that I tried to do while moving to Nashville is to try to elevate whatever it is that my music was to some other level, right? Mm. You know, like, go take it to the next level. Um, (laughs) And for me, the next level was mostly that music is something I'm always going to do. Mm. It's something I can't help doing. Mm. And so I I love to learn. So I wanted to learn, you, you know, you learn how to play an instrument and then you learn how to write a song and you learn how to perform a song and you learn how to record a song and you learn and then I was like well how do people make this into a career Mm -hmm. Um, and the the thing is there 
it there's so much immediately the first thing that people ask you is what kind of music do you make mm. that's the first thing people ask and you're and for me every time I'm like uh well uh, you want to start with a bunch of exceptions like well it's Schubertian it's, uh, yeah. it's deceptively simple Schubertian pop you know you, you know that stuff it's, it's intentionally non-corporate but open right yeah, yeah. I, it's and so I feel like when I moved here a music is a language right and so you, you move into a place and I've moved a lot in my life and you kind of absorb the culture mm. and you absorb the sound and you absorb the language, the musical language. And when I got here, the musical language was, I really loved the classic country music because I've always written really sad songs. And mm-hmm. I was like, everybody's always telling me to cheer up. And I'm like, well, I'm, che- I'm cheered most of the time. You just, yeah, I need an outlet for this stuff. And, <laughs> and so um, when I came here, it was like, oh, you've got a bunch of really sad songs in this poppy format and people love it. It's mm-hmm. what this sound is like based on um, so I can live here (laughs) maybe this is my talent that's one thing I really do like about actual old country music old country music I love that pairing of like the upbeat beautiful you know pretty fucking jaunty melody and then all of a sudden it's like wait you just murdered her (laughs) (laughs) right yes it's a juxtaposition and that's what makes it interesting this juxtaposition of like upbeat and poppy with like really really sad and vulnerable emotionally Mm -hmm. Um, and so I loved that about the country music but I also felt like there's this we're in the South, right? And I'm from the South. I was born in Louisiana, but I've never felt as in the South as here. Mm. Louisiana, Texas, Florida, none of them felt as yeah. South. Each one of those otherwise could Nashville. be different countries. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Louisiana's Louisiana. Yeah, they have their own <laughs> Southern culture that is not like Civil War Southern mm-hmm. culture. Yeah. Um, Texas is like, we secede from the Union or whatever, you know, Republic. like we are our own state. We yeah. are our own country. And then Florida is like really weird. Yeah. And then, and then Louisiana, which I didn't spend much time in so I was like you know what I'm gonna synthesize what I feel like is southern American music which is also academically what I learned in music history American music came from the African American community it came from you know jazz blues Mm-hmm. Um, all of these kinds of very distinctly American music came from gospel, gospel yeah. that led to rock and roll. Yeah. I mean, rock and roll, Even, all of yeah. those kinds of music. Yeah. And so I wanted to honor what I felt was some of the best music in the world and the derivative of aware, like the source of all American music, which mm-hmm. I also wanted to do something that felt like a, a commentary on the fact that I am American, you know, because mm. I'm Vietnamese American. I feel like there's this this disconnect in people's brains that like you're not from here, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh yes, I'm yeah. from here. You can have more from here if you're from <laughs> Louisiana, like, right? Like, <laughs> let me show you how to how to suck a crawfish head, you know? Like, <laughs> um, and so that's kind of what I, I put all of those songs together, um, hoping to make it as. Um, American as at its roots and I didn't know that the 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 genre Americana existed I didn't know mm-hmm. that it was a thing and um, it's sort of a bubble in Nashville where I think everybody thinks that everyone's listening to this music and it's like they're not like it's you know it's, it's, yeah it has grown for it's sure it's grown I guess yeah. but I didn't I'd never heard the yeah. term and I also just don't like listening like I don't like terming things by genres anyway sure so so apparently you know when the album came out people were trying to figure out like how how do we 
Yeah, what slot does it go in? Where does it yeah. go? Is this rock and roll? It's kind of rock and roll. It's not quite rock and roll. It's a little jazzy. Is it country? It's not quite yeah. country. Is no, it jazz? Are you talking about, are you talking about your first jazz. record or are you talking about the, your, your last record right now? Both of them, Both but of them the last okay. record more, mostly yeah. because I actually like hired a publicist for the last one. You uh-huh. know, the first one right. it was just like a bunch of friends and they could yeah. call it whatever they wanted to call it. now somebody's asking you like, where are we aiming on this dartboard? Right, <laughs> yeah. And so the, the one that most people aim at is like, okay, well, it's not quite a Americana, but it's kind of Americana. And really, I'm okay with the term Americana because mm. really at its root, that's what my music is mm-hmm. because it's based on American roots music. Mm. However, I feel like what's commercially popular in Americana music is extremely <clears throat> A certain sound. There's yeah. a different. There's a different. It's a country sound. sound. It's, it's an the, alternate country. It's like yeah. indie country. Yeah, they used to have a thing called alternative country. country, and all of those artists are now considered Americana it's artists. Agnostic. So yes. It's agnostic. It's agnostic country. Yeah. So they've changed the name, and 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 again, <laughs> yeah. I don't have any. I mean, there's there's artists I like more than others. You know what I mean? As there would be in any genre that we would talk about. Um, and I don't. You know, I don't. Uh, you know, I don't have any problem with the genre in and of itself doing whatever it wants to do in terms of there's some artists I like and I will listen to their music. There's some artists I don't like, but there's artists anywhere that I might not like. But the main the main thing I just wanted, I wanted to point out some of those things about it because I just feel like those things are, that, that is really what you're talking about. That's what defines it. It's it's these these neo-traditional country artists is, is the overriding sound of the whole thing, you know? So, it's it's completely makes sense that they would think, hey, young singer songwriter, you know, who uses an acoustic guitar, hey, we'll put we'll plug you right into that because that there's really no other place that makes sense other than that. But within that space, you're kind of an oddball. <laughs> oh yeah, total oddball. I mean, taking my songs to like, I mean, yeah, it doesn't exist now. So, by the way, I think it's great. I really, I really do. I really think it's. I, I like what you're doing, and I feel like it's more unique than what many people are doing. You know. And again, no offense, but well, they're, produ- they're producing. Tradi- they're looking for something traditional, so they all end up doing the same thing essentially, which is, of course, what happens. You know, but. Um, but I, I, I don't, that's not as interesting to me as somebody doing something like more unique and more innovative. Sorry. Good. Oh, no, I was just, <laughs> just going to say that it, it really just depends on like what you mentioned earlier, the, there's a level to how much people feel a responsibility to their time to move to, to sort of, you know, uh, assemble influences and take stock of everything, study everything, whatever it is you want to do, interact with the culture, but then to, to gather all that, make a mark and then move forward mm-hmm. with it there's varied levels of responsibility that people feel for that. And I think a lot of people, the more that they're motivated by perhaps other things, the more they'll go into sort of ready made preset modalities Mm -hmm. that already exist to go and just fill a spot. So they're not going to have the rub that you have in the sense that they're, they're taking directives ultimately from what is, even if what they're taking directives from is a vague facsimile of something that they are derivative of does that make any sense yeah 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 that they're ultimately happy to be put into a cookie cutter as opposed to somebody who insists on not being in a cookie cutter is that what you're saying yeah and (laughs) and ultimately it's just all coupled with like how how responsible do you feel to to this time you know i i feel like i've been stuck in that dilemma for a long time you know where i was never anything at the time i was not able to able to fit into anything ready made Mm -hmm. uh at at its time Weirdly, you know, what happens is 10 or 15 years go down the road and then things emerge that are now a good fit Mm -hmm. for that kind of thing that have a community around them or have 
mm. uh, a subgenre designation or but then you're doing something else <laughs> yeah. exactly and by then by then you're you're you know so I, I feel like we're all on this conveyor in this weird way and then mm. you just you're forced to just you can't you know it, i'm sure if you decided at any point like you know what i just want to make as much money as humanly possible <laughs> there's a lot of different choices that you'd be making across the board yeah but if you're just not either able to do that or willing to do that or just don't believe in that or all three then you're just going to be in this place of I'm well let's just see what the conditions are as they yeah. uh, sort of modulate around me but I mean I'm not gonna mm-hmm. take Compromise. any stock and yeah yeah, and, yeah. Well, I think with you know like with what you're saying I mean I think it's I, I, I mean why why come to Nashville if you didn't have some kind of ideas about you know well let's see how this career thing could work with music you know what I mean I mean that's that was a huge motivation and why I came here that's a huge motivation why many people come here and I don't see any problem with that at all period none I mean I don't see any problem with somebody just completely selling out if they want to do that too do what you want I mean you got to do what you got to do you know but um, but but you know again I kind of admire what you're doing because I guess because in a way I un, I feel like I identify with it a bit more because for me it's always felt like you know as I've discovered what my creative life is because it's not always what you think it is. You start to realize things and, and you're like, oh, I, I'm doing this now and I didn't know I wanted to do that, but that's important to me too. You know, and so so as you're doing it, it's like I want to figure out ways to do it the way I want to do it with the values I wanted to represent and still also find a way to translate that into some kind of, you know, successful sustainable practice, you know? But it's kind of it's kind of not it's like if I may, if I find a way to make it su- sustainable and successful, but somehow along the way I've compromised all those values, then it's like, well, I didn't do it, did I? I did something else, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And now I'm fucking working on Maggie's farm again. Right. <laughs> totally. I mean, I feel like one some of my biggest inspirations are bands or artists that I really loved, and watching their transition from like indie, independent, even being on small labels or putting stuff out themselves to getting that major record label deal. Mm-hmm. And some of my favorite artists, they they change oh, yeah. a lot yep. with that first record. And, and you hear it, you hear the pressure from mm-hmm. a label to make a sound, a marketable sound. Um, the production will oftentimes become whatever that time period's production, mm. like the most popular production style is. Yeah. And, um, and I also wanted that to never happen. I wanted to maintain my integrity as an artist. And so my actual goal is, hasn't been to like make a lot of money or become really famous. It has been, let's experiment to see if I can find a team of people who support my artistic vision mm-hmm. and like believe in me as I am and as I grow and as I evolve and that's going to change and I want it to change some of my favorite bands who were commercially successful changed a lot and made it really really sound good every single record like Radiohead or like the Beatles you know Mm. like each one of their records sounds extremely different and they've somehow been able to navigate the commercial world of the music industry while maintaining this in this artistic integrity and growth. Right. Or, or actually, they're actually out in front carving out the new blueprint mm-hmm. that everything else ends up adopting as yeah. that um, patented sort of 
formulaic yeah. uh, it's mo- cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah whatever, whatever's been yeah, yeah. plowed at plowed ahead and, and done. Yeah, it's awesome when you when you when you know a band gets on a run like that and all of a sudden it's like okay they put out that record and you really liked it and they came out with another record man it's even better and then they come out with another record and it's like whoa like this is not even what I expected and it's like they're just they're they're in new territory and you know in like you're saying like two years from now all the other records are gonna sound like this record you know I, I you think know? I think a lot, <laughs> the only thing good I can see about um, really good bands or artists that end up getting more major deals and then are forced to compromise is that's really the only good thing about that is that one you kind of get to hear how <laughs> how someone survives that and mm-hmm. what actually comes out of it and sometimes the results can be actually interesting or surprising because mm-hmm. it's like oh and here's what they sound like with not shitty equipment You're like okay yeah. cool you know yeah but it's the, not all bad it's all not, of a sudden it's, it's like oh all bad. yeah but but, but but more than anything what I like yep. about it is it, you can just think of it as like it's just starting the inevitable pressure cooker of the, the destruction that will come mm. where especially they, with a band right? <laughs> yeah. that will always yield the best stuff I mean, you know like I think there's so many bands or records like that or you know uh, one of my favorite groups I think that um, that followed that kind of thing where they had a huge pop hit and then descended beautifully into that good night quite right um, quite right <laughs> yeah when they changed their name to softer riot <laughs> yeah. a mellow riot or no, the creakier riot no it's uh, uh, talk talk oh yeah talk and, talk and, uh, they had some red videos man I mean because so you know most people know here's here's how old I am is that I, I, if I mention talk talk to somebody they don't know what I'm talking about and then I say and here's how I bring them to it do you are you familiar with talk talk at all okay so I'll bring you here's how I walk people to talk talk so do you know about Gwen Stefani of course right so she had that oh, right. song called it's my life well that was a talk talk song <laughs> and that was one of the songs that uh, they did in the height of their sort of popularity 80s we did a cover of that for the rock band showcase the volunteer band always does a song oh, and we ended up for doing the girls it. rock camp yes yeah, so you were like cool. oh this is a cool Gwen just a funny cover <laughs> and <laughs> Olivia from Idol Bloom was like no 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 this is a this is a talk talk song. <laughs> uh-huh. that's awesome I did the keys part mm-hmm. nice so so but so their story you know it's like they they went into this uh like they knew that they had uh, I think it was like one more record left on their contract and they knew that it was it was done and so they just decided that they were going to make the most sort of ambitious um, you know full budget record but just go like we were going to go burn this thing you know and what they made is this record called uh, Laughing Stock and it is the like there are books written about this record i mean mm, it's awesome. it's one of those kind of records where every the way that they recorded it the way they produced it the way the songs came together like everything about it especially for its time you'll hear it go find it but it's it was recorded and it was released i think in 91 and you could not, it, it's you heard if you heard it right now you would say this sounds like ultimately contemporary or um at least there's nothing dated about yeah. about any aspect of it and it, so it's ultimately timeless, but there's so much uh, like the recording techniques and, you know, they went deep, man. They just went in as deep as they could and made probably one of the most beautiful records, in my opinion, ever made. And, you know, so when I see people that are clearly talented that are 
being pigeonholed into like you know record company agendas and marketing mm-hmm. there's always a, a secret part of me that's like i hope that they like yeah. go down in, in beautiful flames and make something <laughs> like with a record company yeah. budget on their way out that yeah. it just kills yeah because you can't there's that's the only set of circumstances that can make records like that right yeah 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 where you've got that you've got that big budget behind you and you're able to do it and years of like sort of artistic repression or you know (laughs) like you're kind of you're straddling your own sanity probably through through most of it um yeah i don't know never change man (laughs) that's what i say um i was gonna say that there's like even if even if we're talking about like you know your your you know uh, brandishing your values against the temptations of of selling out and all that kind of stuff at the end of the day you know, you you still might find that maybe if, maybe it would pay off if I if I hired a publicist or you know. There's always going to be things, you know, because I I'm a big believer that part of the you know part of the workload of of being an artist of any kind is like you got to make the work, but you also have to you have to go build your audience. No one's that audience isn't just going to come to you. You have to build your audience, right? And 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 you owe it to the work. Or if you don't owe it to, if your work's not good enough, then don't bother with any of it, you know. But if the work is as good as you think it must be to actually dedicate your life and energy to making it, then you also have to serve it with give by putting it in front of people in some way or another. So I want to ask you, like, what are your plans for the, for this re-release? Are you putting it out as a vinyl record or what, how are you approaching that part of it? So honestly, um, with my self-titled record, which was the most recent one I, mm-hmm. I released two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I, it was kind of, it was my most professional release ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I spent 10 grand on like, going into a recording studio and uh, hiring session musicians Mm -hmm. and working with Andrea Tokic as a producer who was amazing and Mm -hmm. he's worked with so many great musicians around town but also you know has like this clout in um with like he's worked with Alabama Shakes and Hurry for the Riff Raff and Benjamin Booker there's mm. like these names that you can drop you know and be sure, like yeah, yeah. but then also at the same time just working with bands that I thought were really rad like Clear Plastic Masks and, mm. and, and stuff like that um, local bands um and and then I tried to do I tried to do the professional thing and mm. and I was like all right how does this work and I was talking with music managers and I was talking with people who do labels and publicists yeah. and paying for photo shoots and you know working with a stylist mm. a, a pony silver mm. from Black by Maria Silver um, and um, you know what I found was that this it's it's unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, it costs a I lot love that of money. Word. That's a perfect word. <laughs> it's, it's, un, it's unreasonable. Um, yeah. You know, it, you're putting up so much cost for very little return because of the streaming. Um, mm-hmm. I think streaming has not only changed the way that music works financially. I think it's changed the way that people view the value mm-hmm. of art and music Mm -hmm. it should be free as if nobody put a lot of money into making it in the first place you don't go to a coffee shop and expect that your coffee is free but you go onto the internet and you expect that your music is free and um and hey i do the same thing um but uh is it reasonable then for me to spend spend $2,000 on a publicist for right. a six week campaign. That was literally the last of my money and I decided that was what I was gonna yeah. do because I'd heard, so, you hear so much advice. Oh yeah, sure. but you, if you're gonna make a record, you're, you need to get it out there to people. I would have done more. I would have, people were like, how are you doing this without booking a tour ahead of time? It's like, 
how do you do everything by yourself? I mean, you're looking for a publicist, you're planning photo shoots, you're paying for and planning video shoots, you're recording, you're performing, you're doing everything. By this time, you're sick of your songs and you have to book. Booking is like a whole nother job. And then you got to take time off to be gone forever from your actual job that pays your bills which right. for me is a job that I love I teach music and um and 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 I just I only had so much energy so I was like yeah. well the album's coming out I I've set this date um that's all the money I have left whatever if I figure out a tour and I never really toured it and then and then the pressure to put something else out. I mean, as soon as you drop something new, it doesn't matter how many years and how many thousands of dollars you put into it, immediately the industry people are like, all right, well, that's cool, but you need new content. That, What's your new content? See, and that's that's exactly what I was just gonna jump in and say there is that, so I'm a, I came up in the time of no internet, and so all these modalities and all these cottage industries and all these systems were alive and well during that time, and that was the only way and then there's been this kind of middle period of like sort of the mid, like 2005 to maybe like 2010 or 11, mm-hmm. where it started to really move into a different direction, but the internet really, uh, all the channels were not really fully born yet, but now, like I, I like if I'm, if I'm an artist starting out right now, the, I, I, this sounds crazy, especially as a, you know, a lifelong artist musician here, this scene and heard every battle that you're talking about, um, it's the perennial struggle. Um, I would just do nothing but Instagram. I wouldn't have a website. I wouldn't have a publicist. I wouldn't have records. I wouldn't have, any, I wouldn't make anything that was physical goods unless it was merch that I'm selling through Instagram. Mm-hmm. Like I would just put every single because that is the only thing that matters anymore. And I deal with this like in terms of you know content work that I do with my drone work and you know marketing consulting and all these. What about my love of Twitter? Direction. <laughs> Twitter is just the news, as, news aggregator. Yeah. News aggregator. But um, but but, uh, but I mean I mean I think there's a couple things like so um, back in. 98 or 99 when I first moved to Nashville in 98 uh, it was about a year later and this is when I mean I had a modem at my house you know like um, it was very early then and um, actually the Nashville scene did a write up on me at that time because I was one of the first Nashville musicians coming out and saying I'm giving away my music for free you can go on a website and you can just download it Mm -hmm. and just take it and they and everybody was just like, "What is going on?" Mm-hmm. And to the point where they were writing an article about this. Yeah. Know? And because I was just even then, I was like, "The cat's out of the bag. You can't put it back. Like this yeah. is this is happening. Like so, what it is, and this really ties into a lot of our sort of combat sports talk and all this kind of stuff too. Which is, if you don't adapt, you're done. And there is like the traditional model is is so dead. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, you know, there's pros and cons to that. You know. Um, on one hand, no one experiences anything because they're not in, it, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a market for tactile media and for concerts and all this kind of stuff. I'm not saying it's done, but I mean, man, is that getting thin? Mm-hmm. You know, you have to like now think about, you know, the currency now is not how many units you sold, it's how many followers do you have? 
And it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your craft is. It doesn't matter if you're a blacksmith. It doesn't matter if you, you're a, a hot rod car guy. Mm. It doesn't matter if you're a musician. It doesn't matter if you're a painter. It's how many followers do you have? That is the currency now. So I guarantee you that you could go into any record label and if you had one million followers on Instagram, you could be like, I sold three records, but I've got a million followers. Then that is that is the currency now. And so, and the other thing too about content and the other thing I wanted to kind of get in is that like when you're talking about, um, when you're talking about over investing or investing as much as you can in one product and one record, the, the notion of a a record is dead the thematic composition across you know a long form record that's dead um that kind of media generally dead um the notion that people will actually um uh, either want to own or care about you know participating in buying music that's dead um, <laughs> so, like, music is, is dead is what he's saying no i'm saying well here's what i'm saying what i'm saying is actually the music is more alive than ever but all the systems that are built to support it have have died or in the act of dying and nobody's willing to just just pull the plug because there's all these industries especially here in Nashville that are built on it and they don't know what else to do but I think in the, at the end of the day I guess bottom line from my point is just that <clears throat> imagine if you um, you know like the next time if you had the same budget if you just went well I'm gonna make 30 songs and a slightly more lightweight production but still like I'm gonna get more songs and I'm gonna you know release a new song or a very short sort of EP of like three songs or four songs yeah. over the course of the next, you know, 24 months. And yeah, like, like every and quarter. So you've got a, <laughs> so essentially you have like this marketing kind of content plan that you're building to support what people are really interested in, interested in, and this is no uh, accident. I mean, the reason why we're sitting here talking to you right now is because we're interested in who you are. We're interested in what you think. We're interested in how you got where you are, what your experiences are, what your experiences will be. And the only way that we will continue to know what that is, is through Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess, you know, like uh, th this is, I don't know, so I'm a, I guess it just works me up because I've just, I mean, you're looking at, look, look at all the vinyl I've made over there on that shelf. I mean, I've got, I've got albums upon albums upon albums. I've got CDs over there that I pressed in 1998, 99, you know, I've got, you know, and, um, you know, but I mean, it gets, I wish that those were not sitting there and perhaps were in more people's hands, but it's, it's like a chore for people to to get stuff now or commit to something, you know? And so you, you gotta be where they are and where they are is they're on Instagram. Like I, I here's what I would suggest. No, yeah. you're, not, you're asking, make make your next record a concept record that is built around the Instagram 60 second time limit <laughs> and just release a whole record on Instagram. It'd be like, uh, what's, what's that, that band from Ohio that has all the really short songs? Oh, I don't know. You talking about the Minutemen? Uh, no, no, no. Oh. They're not from they're not from Ohio, but yeah, this, they have a lot of short songs. Oh, what the hell's the name? I'll, have to, I'll I'll think about it. But they've got a lot of really short songs that'd be perfect for. But Instagram. yeah, so I just feel like <laughs> I mean, and you think about uh, you know even the greatest right. You're talking. You mentioned Radiohead a couple times, or even think about like what set the stage for bands like Radiohead. You know, in that sort of alternative time, you look at people like Jeff Buckley, you know, or people like that 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 were always up against it. These highly emotive, creative sort of. Uh, people you know that are trying you know even with great connections and you know all the adoration and people buying the records and all that stuff people still just fall under it you know so it's it's just about how you adapt i think yeah. uh ultimately because i mean uh you got you but here's the thing all that being said i totally know what it's like to sort of say i don't care 
And yeah. this, this is the way that I think that sh- things should be. And there always will be an audience for the, these things. I'm not an alien or some weirdo. And and so I'm going to make this, you know, say whatever, some triple album concept record or God knows whatever the most yeah. ambitious sort of sit still and listen to it and shut up things you can do. Yeah. There's still, I mean, I'm not saying it's like a totally lost cause and I applaud people that, you know, but, but I guess when I hear people sort of struggling in any kind of way, you know, in that, the, the art fight ultimately, I guess, you know, I'm just like, man, what is the, the highest level of adaptation? What, and so crudely for me, I'm just like, it's just, it's all about Instagram. Well, nothing, nothing else I mean, I ended anymore. up hiring somebody to help me with social media with like some of my money. And I, that was like another thing that I did. I was like, all right, so that's where it's at. It's at social media and it's too exhausting for me. There are people who go to school for that. I don't know. Somebody help me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even my legal advice was like, I don't know, like you, you can only afford to hire them for this many months. And like, what are they actually going to do for you? Um, and I, yeah, I mean, social media followers, we got some of those and we were doing that to get into the steps of how do you get a record label deal and they mm. want to see that you already have a certain amount of followers and how do you get sponsors? They want to see that you have a, a, this this following so that they can help market their whatever product through you and that's where mm-hmm. you get money through endorsements instead of... Or, yes. Yeah, so whatever. And that was just another step of the way that the music industry works that would burnt me out. Yeah. I, it was the whole how much thousands of dollars you are supposed to put in I mean that's why people like Taylor Swift or whatever have an advantage or a privilege because they already have the money up front to do that stuff Um, and so for me this record to answer your question finally because I'm like really circuitous in the way that Mm -hmm. I am like the queen of tangents but um, all of that to say that going through that whole process and that whole experience so far with what I did with meeting with music managers and social media people and like producers or whatever I mean um, is that my first record I mean, I wrote these songs between the ages of 15 and 20 when I was a part of this like DIY music scene, which I'm still a part of a DIY music scene. And where were you living then? I was living in Brevard County, Florida, and then Orlando, like Uh the suburbs of Orlando. So basically Central Florida. And that's where I went to middle school and high school and college. And I wrote those songs out of a a need for survival. Mm. You know, I experienced a lot of trauma in my childhood my mom is schizophrenic I moved around with family I experienced sexual abuse I uh, witnessed domestic violence I wrote these songs to like survive and then I and I was a part of this DIY community that I had to fight my way into because I was one of the only girls in the whole scene Mm. and it was rock and roll so imagine if it's hard for me to get into Americana because I don't fit into like what their perfect genre is like imagine what it's like to be a folk artist who's not quite really anything going in playing with hardcore bands and (laughs) you know and that was my that was my childhood you know Mm. that's what I did that's where I carved a space for myself Mm. and I I burnt a bunch of CDs I mean you know had some and uh, and did a DIY release in a collective space and that's that's where I come from I Mm. mean like even though my music doesn't show it 
my roots are really in the rock and roll DIY yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's still where I feel most comfortable. So what I'm going to be doing with this tour is minimal promotion and um, and doing a house show tour, which I can't really even promote because yeah. I can't be like, well, my friend Kristen lives yeah. at this address and yeah, Tony cool puts though. on shows in his house and it's called the Main Emporium of Doubt in Orlando, but I'm not going to give you the address. Um, so it's going to be a house show tour and I'm going to play hopefully mostly just straight up acoustic um, not plugged into anything and play to a house full of friends of friends and like sing songs that are really genuine and true and like survival songs that um, came from a super DIY place and then they're going to be released in a really DIY way I'm mostly doing that because A I don't have the money or energy to do it any other way but really it's the 10th anniversary of it and so I'm reflecting a lot mm. on what has come and gone in the last 10 more than 10 because it takes more than a blip of a second mm. to make and then release an album so everything that led up to that was just like the need to create and um, right now I'm not creating a lot too so that was another reason why I put out another like I'm re-releasing an album and just so happens to perfectly be the 10th anniversary. Yeah, that's cool. And the Americana Fest just happens to fall on my birthday, which is when I just so happened to put it out 10 years ago. Yeah. So it's kind of perfect in that way. I also released my self-titled record um, on Americana Sunday at Fond Object because that place for me is, it's like, okay, it's Americana enough. And all right, this place though is a DIY rock and roll space. Totally, when yeah. you When you go down to the bare bones of it. Yeah. So that like really... Um, showcases a lot of different types of music that aren't just cookie cutters. Yeah, it's so a fun place to play. I love playing and at Fond Object. It's a fun place to see shows, too. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited to play there, and it's all ages. That's another thing. I mean, you don't have that many DIY all ages spaces in Nashville anymore, and that's where I grew up, you know, mm. in these weird, dingy, like, strip mall church spaces that had <laughs> these, like, hardcore fests or punk bands lighting their cymbals on fire <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. That's that's where I feel most at home, although, you know, I'm definitely, I don't go to as many loud rock and roll shows and DIY spaces as I used to just because... My ears hurt more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta protect your ears. <laughs> um, yeah, and and also just because I don't know. I mean, I guess in a way, I feel like a sellout, not musically, but like I bought a house and <laughs> I like to decorate it, and like <laughs> I really like to think about like you know would be really great, like mm-hmm. mm, if we could like turn this garage into a practice space, you know, mm-hmm. with like climate controlled and humidity controlled. Yeah. How am I gonna do? that you know All like the things yeah. you couldn't have when you were like in the hardcore scene right you're like this is not a storage space this is my house <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah i'm yeah. like oh my gosh i can play music outside of my bedroom like yeah, that's, that's amazing cool. <laughs> yeah 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 no that's cool i think too i mean what is your like what is your process like because you know for me it's like i try to play you know in nashville pretty much like basically every month my rule for myself is just essentially that if anybody asks me when's your next show, I would always have an answer, right? Just got to always be able to say, if you want to come see me play, I'll be playing here in three weeks or I'll be playing here next week or whatever. There's always an answer, right? Actually, there's not an answer at this moment, but there will be very soon. <laughs> I just played last week, so I've got some got some phone calls. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, uh, but, but here's the thing. 
I, for, for one reason, I just feel like playing a whole lot more than that in Nashville is just kind of silly because you can't keep getting people to come see you week after week or day after day. And, um, uh, and, and I think a lot of times too, I mean, sometimes people at the club will even tell you, you know, it'd be great if you like sort of didn't play again, uh, you know, this month before you came here and played here and got people to come here, you know, so it's just, it's good planning that way. Um, but it's also a thing where for me, it's like going out and playing live and even going out and seeing music live it's not my biggest musical priority. Like I'm not driven to be a performer, right? I like performing. I feel like I'm good at performing. And at the same time, it's like, if somebody told me you can never perform your music again, there'd be a little part of me that would be, I'd lose a little part of me, but it'd be fine because if I could still record and write music, that's great. I don't care. That's that's the thing I like doing the most. You know what I mean? So for me, it's like a lot of times being in the music community in Nashville means I'm at home writing another song. What are you doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, I, I feel like, you know, I try to make an effort to get out and see like my friends and stuff because, because, you know, I want to support them for, because they're my friends and because they're musicians. You know what I mean? But it's, it is hard to sort of spend a bunch of time getting out to see shows when you're, rehearsing for your own shows or trying to write your own material. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, and doing both conventional life and artist life at the same time and yeah. trying to figure oh, out yeah. how to make that harmonious. It's not... Right. Th that's the challenge, I think, too. It's like, how do you make that feel like one sort of concentric, even beam of energy as opposed yeah. to feeling like a house divided in terms of, you know, responsibility, quote unquote, versus, mm -hmm. you know, this other responsibility that is a, such a different discipline. You know, the yeah. but so if you know if you for tweaking your house, if, you know, to get to where you can make stuff easier, faster, better, cheaper, and and have a, a space to kind of get ideas out quickly, or you know, the, all mm -hmm. those little things matter a lot. It takes uh, it takes a long time, you know, to get your life to feel like people talk about like work life balance. It should be work life integration, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the key. I think of like. How you know because the that strain of feeling like you have to be two different people almost is well in a weird way I, like when I was you know I I did a lot of you know doing the dual duty of having like a day job and having uh you know doing music and I always felt like when I was at my job that I was being kept you know somehow like the man's working against me you know what I mean like this mm -hmm. is what I have to do or whatever even if I had decent jobs or whatever but it was just. I felt like my days were being taken from me for this, mm. you know, that I could be applying to this other thing. And so it made me really hungry for it. Mm. And so I would press late into the nights on the weekdays and, and work, you know, work on stuff really hard on the weekends with a lot more focus. And then when I got to the point where I could quit my job and was doing, you know, had a studio and was producing and playing and making my own stuff and doing all the things for a living, it was this, you know, holy shit, I don't do anything before like three o'clock anyway. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, like, yeah. like am I, should I just get up earlier and have a job? Is yeah. this really, but it does come down to like the travel and, and, and uh, you know, that, those kind of freedoms are hard to manage. But, mm -hmm. but generally, you know, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I've, since I've kind of experienced both pretty concertedly, like, I feel like 
there's pros and cons really to, to both. But the one thing that, that is great when you're making your own money somehow else is you, you have this comfort at all times that no one can fuck with what you make. Yeah. Because no one's bankrolling anything. Yeah. And so everyone yeah. can just fuck themselves. Yeah. 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 You totally. know? And so totally. that is a very, you know, I, people I understand get their vanity wrapped up in sort of acceptance about my music or my craft or whatever. And am I being validated by the world in this way? Or am I getting this sort of symbiosis that I need to sort of feel like I should carry this on? Is it worthwhile? Whatever. That's all like a, a negative train of thought. Ultimately, it's just like, fuck I am making my own music I'm doing things my own way and I don't care what anybody I, I don't give a shit if anybody likes this or not and I'm gonna press this many records mm-hmm. and I'm gonna you know play these shows and I will butt my head up against the wall I don't care but I will proudly do it because I know that I'm not compromising yeah. anything and then strangely that is the sort of energy that magnetizes people to what you do <laughs> you know so it's almost like dating or something you know <laughs> yeah it's like yeah. like you yeah. know if, if if you're like the, the you know the guy on the date that's like you know so I mean we're going to hang out Thursday or you know yeah. free Friday too I mean just whatever you want whatever works for you you lost yeah, it yeah, <laughs> yeah. but if you're like I don't need you yeah you know like I'm here this is great but whatever I'm the train is rolling as you can hear a train outside too but um nice. but, the, but like the train is rolling like I'm doing this thing with or without you and I don't care what your metrics are or what your your sort of uh, you know, uh, numbers are that you need to see or, or whatever. <laughs> I like, I'm a person that's just doing this. And then if you think about the things that inspired you to begin with, you know, and deep music roots, right. In terms of gospel, uh, you know, early sort of country music and folk music and all that. Um, all of that is just cultural output with no buffer. So the things that are at the actual origins of everything are pure. Those people were not worried about publicists. Those yeah. people were not worried about anything. They were sitting on their porch playing music yeah. and living a cultural, natural, everything's just a quite a natural outcome of what's going on that then gets sort of you know, mystified and then demystified later on and broken down and just, you know, I mean, granted, you know, Alan Lomax went around and recorded everybody and didn't pay them, but still made some amazing recordings for yeah. us to have, you know, as this document of early American music. But, but ultimately that's all just natural cultural output. So I always just kind of go back to like, okay, well, what am I, what am I culturally? Like, okay, I'm a, I'm a privileged white male and from a lower middle-class semi-rural existence. Um, and so that's where I come from. Like, what, you know, like, what do I have to say? I don't know. <laughs> Slightly feral. 30 minutes from town. Yeah. 30 minutes from town, if you know what I'm saying. But you know, anyway, I don't know. So that I, those are the sort of the, because uh, I've just, I've seen uh, and been a part of different <laughs> bands and, and conglomerates of all kinds of situations musically where I've watched people just hurt over not getting over this hump and um you know or not getting like that next thing or 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 whatever it is and i'm just always reverting back to you know why did you do this in the first place because it just something tickled your ears or made your bones feel funny or or felt honest or something so just go do that and honestly like especially now like the the shittiest music technology and that you have i would like when in the 90s i was like 
ripping apart computers and putting them back together in hopes of being able to record two to three minutes of audio without it crashing mm. like one track and that was a revolution at the time mm. that we could you know because I didn't have to buy tape oh my god I don't have to buy tape I can't afford tape so if I can just right. get this c- compact office computer from you know <laughs> with like eight megabytes of RAM to, yeah. to record just two minutes like what could I do with that yeah. and if I could just get that you know like uh, I made a record that ended up being primarily loop based before people were talking about that kind of thing and the only reason why is because I could only get about two minutes of audio into the computer at a time before it would just crash Mm. and so I would record sounds feverishly and then get them and then once they were in there I could kind of assemble and edit and repeat things and and do whatever I wanted to do and built the whole record that way tracking was like and then the way that I had to do it too is I would would have all these tracks you know but my computer wouldn't handle it so I would have to bounce it down to being like a two track I would have to commit to like well the level of the bass and the guitar are going to be what they are and I can't there's no more way to do anything to them I would compress it, you know, mix it down to two tracks, put it in. Now the computer's fast again. And then I can get my friend to come over and put one keyboard track and it might actually make it across the whole timeline, you know, and then do wants to do that, render that. And then I'm like, you know, like the folding in. So using such primitive technology at the time ended up being um, the thing that made it the most of its time, the most natural, the most cultural, and the most reflective of exactly where I am. All the good, the bad, the faults of the technology, everything else, that's where I was. That's what I was dealing with, and that's where I was pushing this envelope at the time. And so I, you know, and the the record that I ever did that got the most response was, you know, at that, that one of that time because of, I think, those reasons. And then as technology got better and easier, you know, it, it changed my, my hunger and my, you know, it, it it became so easy. So anyway, but my, you know, ultimately now the worst setup ever is 8,000 like times better than, yeah. than what we were doing 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so if it's, it's kind of com- always comes back to some sort of weird kind of just a gratitude. Of, okay. I'm alive. I'm a person. I have the ability and the tools to express myself and capture it. This is amazing. So I'm just going to just really focus on that and then let the chips fall where they may, but I'm going to be ultimately compelled by, just that feeling of I have input and then in the way that I perceive the world and then I have output as uh, to sort of how I parse that and put that in a frame and I need that cycle going on at all times. I'm not going to wait for a big studio record. I'm not going to put all these eggs in one basket. I'm just going to circulate my my energy and and sort of perceive and then respond and then move on. Uh, And you can do that now in in ways that are just confounding. I mean, so, you know... uh, you know, for me, I think the the honesty of that and just understanding your cultural place kind of ties back into also what you were talking about, Joe, with like the 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 you know people should feel a sense of ownership over their time and place and quit swimming in the past and trying to prop up yeah. tra- 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 traditions well, they or do, they could do it if they want, but I, so, I'm yeah. not that into. Well, you know, we, <laughs> no, we, we need museums as much as we need new art. Whoa. Um, <laughs> the stuff that you were saying about like using the the stuff that you have that's an like I feel like having the bookend of the first record that I made with the one that I have most recently done a couple years ago released a couple years ago are like really to have both of those together the first one was like recorded in um, two different settings so I had a friend who owned a recording studio in Melbourne, Florida called Studio 101 and I didn't have money I was like in college I was working I was whatever and we would just he would pencil me in 
outside of hours. Like basically, okay, yeah. we're recording this band until 10 p.m. and then you can come in and when they've wrapped up or whatever. And then we never recorded at 10 p.m. because then it was like, oh, hey, how you doing? What you been up to? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And we would hang out and then all of a sudden it'd be like recording at midnight or yeah. one o'clock in the morning. Were you getting, were you getting free studio time? Free or, studio yeah. time. But, at, but you got to do it on the off hours, Exactly. Right? Yeah. Just whenever it was available and like I remember, I mean, there were times when I was literally sick and I'd be like well but that's too bad because this is the time that yeah. I have and I'm not, and, <laughs> and then the rest of them it was like alright we're out of time and I need this we need to do this vocal track or we need to do this whatever and so my friend Dylan Ethier who is now in Nashville and mm. actually the reason why I live here because mm. I had a friend here and he was my friend here and I visited him while I was traveling around um, and ended up like recording my third record in his mm. living room um, live to tape like um, but we recorded in his bedrooms using this like Roland eight track digital thing that's really clunky now. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we had then. And we recorded it and burned things to CDs and stuff. And and so when I listen back at this thing that made me mortified for so long where I am my own worst critic and I was just like, oh, that vocal track. Oh, I didn't do it because I was sick and it was so, uh," or whatever. Um, (laughs) Or like, oh, that guitar is a little out of tune right there. And things that just have driven me nuts that I was just like, I never want anybody to see this as their first impression of me as a Mm. musician because I know I can do better. And so another thing that drove me to make the record, the self-titled record, was I wanted to make something. As an artist, you want to strive to, will I ever be happy? (laughs) Will I ever be happy with what I've made? And I made something that made me really happy. Mm. The the self-titled record, whether or not, you know, it got great press too. Like that publicity campaign ended up being a great gamble. I I loved the the reviews that I got and the connections that I've made. And it's been played internationally and all of that stuff. But now, after all of that, I still, now I can look at the first one and respect it in a different way and we've been able to remaster it a little bit we re-EQ'd it because really we don't have the original mixes so mm. it's not remixed really but it's like mm-hmm. re-EQ'd just, yeah. we've just moved around some levels and it, it made it way better already and um, I'm just gonna release them on digipacks like I'm gonna make it nice right, you so know? This, you're talking about the first album now the like, first album yeah, yeah you remastered called, it essentially and yeah. it's going to be and, and you're gonna release it as what's a digipack um, so so the record's called Disguised as Fate and um, and and the Good digipacks title. are like not the jewel, plastic jewel case ones. They're kind of the, the more like card, foldy ones. The cardboardy foldy ones that are like nice. nicer than the jewel cases that break and like end up you know wherever. Um, and I'm gonna do a booklet with the okay, lyrics. I, I still am not clear on what a digipack is. There is there a disc it, in it? What's yeah, it? yeah okay. there's a disc in it. It's yeah, a, it's just a method of CD packaging. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. it's gonna be on CDs. Yeah, CDs in cardboard in cardboard sleeves. Yes, in okay, cardboard cool. sleeves that are gonna be a little bit elevated and. Um, and have the the lyric booklets and then this oh, time cool. with liner notes and I wrote Who's like doing the liner notes um, me oh cool <laughs> um, I wrote a letter to my younger self is what I did um, oh that's rad and then you know just a little so that's note. a new addition that's not something that was with the first record no. this is you saying to the, your little record oh you're mm-hmm. all grown up yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah like you know this is what I would tell myself from back then yeah, from what cool. I know I know now and um, 
just just telling myself not to give up and that you know I'm gonna wonder for a long time if I'm ever gonna be able to make something that I'm totally happy with and I'm I will and and I'll look back and I'll be proud still and I still respect those songs and I still respect um my insights at the time you know a lot of people are I I volunteer at rock and roll camp southern girls rock and roll camp and I and I I truly respect these young girls who have real opinions and feelings and experiences and challenges um in music and in life and you know I didn't know that that existed when I was a 15 year old girl writing these songs and I look back and I listen to them and I'm like, wow, I had a lot to say. And actually, they're a good reminder to myself now what's important. And um, and I also honor the like little traumatized self that I was. And, um, you know, my my therapist and I have talked about doing like a video series (laughs) called the I want to call it the therapy sessions like disguise to state the therapy sessions and really like analyze those songs because for her as a therapist she's like wow these songs are like snapshots gold mine for a therapist yeah she's like these are like literally when you were going through these things making and my so, job easy yeah let's yeah. analyze them and I'm like alright let's do it so That's you know really cool. there's like multi layers it's like coming back to my DIY roots which I never really left because it's kind of DIY or die forever basically yeah. out of necessity and out of love and then um and yeah just kind of like this this reflection on on the the recording methods on on life and how it's changed and how one person matures over time you know like this weird the weird time capsule that having an album of yourself saying things and Mm -hmm. playing things Mm -hmm. like having that time capsule it's so weird and trippy like not everybody does that right you have Mm -hmm. maybe pictures of yourself and you're like oh look I used to wear bell bottoms in the 70s or whatever these concentrated expressions to then look back on with some perspective and you don't realize at the time and I always use this term and it's what I'm consumed with is just like the notion of new nostalgia and that everything you're making in the time is nostalgia of you know of, of to come yeah. <laughs> and so that's what I'm obsessed with in everything that I'm doing and I love that um, uh, you're you're realizing a not a lot of people actually have these these things to look back on because nobody's not a lot of people have duly expressed themselves in such a concerted uh, focused way in a document in this way but also the, then the conscious act of, of revisiting it um, um, and I've done something similar, um, you know, because a lot of the records that I made in the late 90s or early 2000s um, remastered, you know, uh, and then re-released, you know, and, and you kind of get to re- re-hear it in this way. And I, you know, what I always say is like, because people say, well, how do you know when you're done? Like if I'm with doing a video edit or if I'm doing a piece of music or I'm doing whatever, anybody says this, right, with any piece of art, they're like, well, how do you know when you're done? I, I have a very easy answer for that. I know I'm done when I hate it and I can't stand it anymore. <laughs> and so that notion of like being happy with it, it's a funny thing because it, I, I don't trust that feeling. I don't trust that feeling. If I just finished a record or a new piece of music or something and I'm just happy with everything, I don't, I don't, that makes me feel very uneasy. Like, I, I, I haven't wrestled with it enough or something. Yeah. I need to feel like, like, and I, I do always get to this point where I'm like, I don't care anymore. Yeah. I, I like, I've put everything I've got into this and everything else from this point on is diminishing returns and anything that I feel is still lacking or should be shifted in some way or whatever, screw it. 
I'm over it. I don't care. No one cares anyway. (laughs) Fuck it. Like, move on. And then then it takes time time to pass, and then you go back and you reapproach the stuff. It doesn't even have to be 10 years, right? It can be just even a month of just getting away from something. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, this is great, you know, like, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a weird embattlement in the self, you know, to, to create something. It's a whole other thing to sort of perceive and re-perceive uh, yeah. what you made and then reassimilate your current self to that self. Mm-hmm. And then you invariably are looking at it where you're like, man, you know what? There's a spirit that I kind of lost. Like there's a, there's a beautiful naivete or there's like a, a unwieldiness to this that makes it so great that I can't return to because I've been so busy perfecting everything yeah 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 right that that now i've just like you know and but at the same time you're you're like wow that yeah that guitar is out of tune there's no doubt about it at the time i didn't hear it i didn't care or mm. i knew and i didn't have time to finish it yeah or whatever that but, too but or that it's the take is so good that it didn't matter but but yeah but it's not about the perfection ever it's about just the zeitgeist it's just about like what was happening then and and that's all the stuff that comes back what's what's frustrating sometimes is that you can't bottle or capture or reproduce that like if 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 your audience could understand like the what happens internally for you to go back and visit that and have a picture of yourself versus yourself 10 years later and to illustrate so I think it's really cool that you're doing really everything that a human could do to uh, afford the audience that experience by writing a letter to your formal self that, that, that you're allowing people to read. Um, Not to mention the therapy sessions. I bet you. T- <laughs> <laughs> I, bet, I bet you. T- how, how many how many drafts of this letter did you write? Not many, honestly. <laughs> I, I was inspired by um, you know uh, Rock Camp was coming up, and they said we would like for people to submit something into our rock camp scene for the summer. And I so said... So this is really quick. This is a thing where you and a bunch of other fellow female musicians are getting together with young girl teenagers and they form bands and they, they perform their music live, right? Is that correct? Um, Just for people, people who aren't from Nashville don't know what you're talking sure, about. Sure, yeah. Well, there are rock camps all over the world. Uh-huh. Um, but yes, I guess there's, that's true. There, yeah, yeah. It's not just here. Uh-uh. And, and there are some that only have female uh-huh. teaching artists, but here in Nashville we have female and male uh-huh. and gender non-conforming uh-huh. um, trans. No, any, but what yeah, about yeah, the LGBT. students? Are they all, are they all, are they all... There's two different kinds of camps. There's okay. the Southern Girls Rock and Roll Camp, which okay. is all girls and non-conforming teenage like yeah. 10, 10 to 17 year olds and then um, there's a Tennessee teens rock camp which is for oh, boys okay. and girls okay and, I probably uh, mix those two up y- yeah, yeah. Um, so there's there's different ones but one um, is girls only mm-hmm. um, and gender non-conforming students and um, and yes one, one of the things that they do is they learn an instrument that week and they write a song together as a band and then they perform it at a showcase at the end of the week and throughout the week they're also doing workshops like learning how to screen print or how to build their own pedal or their um, DIY skills their DIY skills <laughs> how to book and promote a show yeah, or awesome. um, those kinds of things alongside like uh, watching a band so they bring in bands every day and the, the girls or girls and boys they get to see um, bands perform and do a Q&A with them so there's a lot of stuff that happens throughout the day at rock camp. Um, but yeah, they, they have a zine for the week. And, and I just thought to myself, what would I want? I, I'm always multitasking anyway, having all of those integrating all of the different parts of your life. So I'm like, I'm working on this release. And, and of course, there's no way that I can separate thinking about rock camp with these 15 year old girls, you know, 10 to 17 year old girls. And then going back in time to my 15 year old yeah. self when mm-hmm. I was writing music and you know, figuring out how to book and promote shows and whatever. And, uh, 
And so I was like, ah, maybe I should write a letter to my younger self and then ask them to, you know, like think about how they would, what they would say to their adult self or what they might say, you know, just prompting them to think about it. In the end, um, they ended up using uh, Solange's letter to herself, which I didn't know existed, um, but it was really, really good and maybe Mm. a little more universal. Um, But uh, I ended up using it for the record, especially because I was like, oh shoot, I need to get all of this album art stuff together (laughs) right now to press this thing. Yeah. Fatten up this package. Exactly. <laughs> but I just felt like it was the most appropriate liner notes. It was poetic in yeah, and of it itself. Cool. And it kind of encapsulates why I'm putting this out again. Um, and and yeah, and it just reminds me of how much uh, hard work that we've, we've put into all of this art that we make and and time traveling and, and all of that stuff. So one of the songs that was on the first record is on my last record. But like now you get to hear the my the one that I made as a young adult or a teenager depending on when I actually recorded it Mm -hmm. and like had a cold and couldn't hit the notes and Mm -hmm. all that stuff and there's only a guitar and me and then you hear like the fully produced version with that sounds like it could be in a Quentin Tarantino movie with backup singers and like full multiple percussion instrumentation going on and organs and like and you nailed that vocal oh my gosh (laughs) yeah (laughs) we worked really nine days but we got it (laughs) (laughs) oh man I have video clips of me in the studio doing it and it's like you know, you can't hear exactly what the producer is saying every time, but it's like, I'll stop and he'll be like, and it's like, oh, hey, okay, I'll do that. I'll try that this time. You know, like doing it over and over again. But being able to like literally physically and emotionally afford to have the time to really nail that. Yeah, that's cool. And the song itself is about like time being relative so in it's kind of weird and trippy by itself that I have this one song from my younger self talking about how my older self will still be the same person and you know that we all like live thinking that time is this linear thing but at that time I was reading a lot of Vonnegut and very philosophical and like I have this concept of time that it's like space where space exists all at once all the time and I feel like time is like that where um, all of time exists at one time all the time but you just are such a small human being that you can only experience this one period of it at one time Mm -hmm. but like you know if you think about it this future self was going to happen one way or the other I mean there's no way around it for me the title disguised as fate also says I'm kind of a fatalist not because I don't feel like the things that we do aren't important or won't change anything but like with all of the infinite circumstances this existence and this moment in time will never have been anything else because it is now and Mm -hmm. so and so when I was 15 or 18 or and I wrote the song like this moment was already that are already going to happen like it Mm. is now that's why you were addressing it i was addressing it then it's like all right you know we we live these lives thinking that we we're afraid of the future we're afraid that if we put out our record this way instead of that way or get the social media or don't do it and then we live with this fear (laughs) right (laughs) we live with this fear that these decisions that we make are like gonna i don't know somehow but i just wanted to say like in that song to myself is that no matter what everything is the way it's 
it's supposed to be like mm-hmm. even through all the trauma i was like why is this why did this have to happen to me you know like yeah. why and it's like all right well maybe there's a reason i don't know we all have like we have music is kind of a way of like pep talking yourself anyway you're getting yourself through a moment and you're like well there's a reason for everything and I just have to have faith that everything's going to be fine and everything is the way it's supposed to be and like it will fig it's figured out already actually like mm-hmm. there's so much we can figure out but like it's all going to happen it's like a never-ending series of addressing elephants in rooms yeah because <laughs> if you don't they're just going to be there <laughs> yeah so the song how it should be is just like this weird time capsule on the first record on the last record about time it's trippy so where can I where can people that are listening find this record um, well wherever, there are pre-orders available right now up on Bandcamp um, where all the records are and then so it'll is be it, out is that, is that Bandcamp.com slash Ariel Bowie it'll be I think it's Ariel Bowie which is A-R-I-E-L B-U-I, so it's arielbuoy.bandcamp.com. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, it works like the yeah. name is first. Yeah. Uh-huh. arielbuoy.bandcamp.com. And of course, on my website, just arielbuoy.com, that's kind of the like center of where uh-huh. all that stuff is, where you can see where upcoming shows are and where all the records are. And What's your Instagram? My Insta- <laughs> <laughs> I do nice. have an Instagram. Yeah, and, nice. uh, <laughs> and yes, I do hey, have that. fuck all that, Ariel. Where's your Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> it's Ariel Bowie. And, uh, and yeah, it, Instagram is my favorite. I do wish that I didn't have uh-huh. to have a Facebook or a website or any of that stuff because Instagram's cool. And what about your, 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 uh, your release show is this weekend here in Nashville? Yeah, so it's here in Nashville at Fond Object on September 16th. That's the Sunday of Americana Fest. And okay, it's going to be a whole day. It's Sundown Social, Look Blackfoot Gypsies, Lily Hyatt. A bunch of people are going to be playing. Oh, cool. I kick off the whole thing at noon. Um, so it'll be my 32nd Killer. birthday, 10th anniversary. But also there's a bunch of cool artists playing. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's free. And uh, yeah, noon at Fond Object. That's me. Right on. And That's followed awesome. by a regional house concert tour. But if you don't know the people whose houses yeah. they are. Follow um, Ariel on Instagram and, and, uh, and try no, to get you, on that house you, tour. You're going to have to go to her, <laughs> go to her Instagram. Then you're going to have to like snoop, DM all, me. snoop all of her followers. Try Invite to her over to your house to play music. Go exactly. <laughs> go snoop all of her followers. Find out which ones are advertising a house concert. <laughs> Y'all can do this. You have the internet. Yeah, so um, is there any particular states or cities? Yeah, so I'll be playing in like Chattanooga and Atlanta, um, Louisville. I'm also going to be playing in Florida where, Ooh. I mean, that's kind of what inspired me. The friends that I, I like had. All those cities. Yeah, yeah, I went, I'm going to be in Gainesville, Orlando, and Melbourne, Florida as well, where where those friends inspired me. They, they still dug that record. They still dig it. And so I'm like, oh, wow, they actually are, are genuinely into this, not for a nostalgic thing, not for any concept. They were there. And yeah. they're and they're like we love it. So I'm gonna go down there and hang out with some old friends. I like you're into this full circle thing. I like that. <laughs> Everything no no uh, every every circle has to complete. <laughs> well, the tangents have to come back to somewhere. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming by. And Joe Nolan, do you have anything coming up? You have oh you don't have a show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a show coming up. No, that's the one time I don't have a show. I do. It seems like I have something coming up, but I can't think of what it is. They're gonna. Um, we're gonna have a party at the courthouse uh, at the end of the month for all the artists who got their uh, Metro Arts purchased 
40 pieces of oh, art. yeah. Well, they purchased work from 40 artists, I think is the way it goes. So two of my photographs are now in the permanent public art collection of Nashville. So cool, thing. man. And so they'll have, you know, I'll be getting a, I'll have a photo with the mayor that people can see on Instagram by the end of the month. Okay, that's that's what we're going to count on. At Mighty Joe Nolan on Instagram. (laughs) And if you don't have an Instagram, you're dead. dead. Yeah, you're You're dead to me. (laughs) You're dead to yourself. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right, thanks a lot. We're out. (laughs) Is that okay? Thanks. Okay guys, I love the Art Fight podcast, and I listen to every episode even though I am a robot trying to sound like an actual person. I know it takes a lot to keep the podcast going. How can I help? Go to anchor.fm forward slash artfightpodcast, click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast, and once you get there you'll have three options. You can just choose the lowest level, you're going to pledge 99 cents a month to, to our production and and help us out again anchor.fm forward slash art fight podcast click on support this podcast all right thanks everyone